And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. to Monday, and it certainly does feel like a Monday. Good afternoon, everyone. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here. I am the editor at SciFiForMe.com, which is where you will find the largest, most comprehensive, most up-to-date, most current list of comic-cons horror conventions steampunk conventions genre events anywhere on the web it is something that we are very proud of here mrs boss diligently working on that pretty much every day of the week almost every day of the week All right, let's get into it today. The live chat is open if you are watching live on our YouTube channel. There is no 800 number yet, but we do have an email address. Live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. The hashtag live from the bunker or sci-fi for me TV, whichever one you prefer to use. 85 days without incident. We're on a roll. So uh, so we should celebrate by buying some more stuff. And you can save money when you buy stuff at SuperheroStuff.com. 10% discount when you use the promo code sci fi for me 10 And you can use that money that you save to send to us. We have a Subscribestar account if you want to support us financially. Uh, it's completely optional, of course. Subscribestar.com slash sci-fi for me. And you may notice up in the corner a little bit, a uh, little of uh, our new sign, the new sign up there. I have, uh, I have noted on a number of occasions that it's not a comfortable thing for me to sit there and ask people for money. So I'm just going to do it subliminally with this. We'll podcast for Super Chats up here in the back. Uh, and of course, we've got the PayPal option as well, if that is your if that is your preference, because YouTube takes fifty five percent of the super chats that come in. So it's not something that I've been really hot to trot on on promoting because I'd rather keep more than fifty more than forty five percent of of what you send us, but. It is what it is. I don't know. The the IRS will take it will take it all eventually anyway. Like they do. I don't know, should I get into that story or no? Probably not. Well, okay. So over uh about okay. Back in March, we filed our taxes like good citizens that we are. <clears throat> And we were going to get a refund. Okay, fine. And uh, we filed on March 17th. And we have been checking because, you know, the pandemic and, and extensions and, and delays and, and whatnot. And usually when there's a refund involved, we usually get it before now. 
And we've been looking to check and, you know, checking on their website, you know, check my, you know, the status, the refund and all that. So it's, it's processing, it's processing, it's processing, it's processing. So finally track down a, a, an 800 number and a, and a code and push this button and push this button and this and that and that and the, the other to navigate the maze <clears throat> to get to an actual person. And once we talk to an actual person, about a week later, we get a letter from the IRS asking for a form because I spent two months on the healthcare exchange at the very, very beginning of uh, 2019 at the behest of my mother. I, I did it. I fully admit I did it because my mother was bugging me about it. So I was like, fine, whatever, do it. So two months I spent on the healthcare exchange, Obamacare. And... Because of that, the IRS is requesting another form. And in order, in order to fill out that form, I have to have another form that I had to download from the healthcare exchange. But then I had to set up an account because I never set up an account at the healthcare exchange because I just got the thing and just let, let it float out of my mind. I forgot about it. So now I'm going through all of this rigmarole. And as I'm filling out the form, the worksheet, the, the instructions for these forms are... 20, 30, 40 pages of step-by-step -step instructions and definitions, and this is what this means, and if you have this, then this, and, you know, all of this thing. And as I'm filling out the one form, using information from two other forms, then it tells me that I have to use a worksheet because if X equals X then you have to use this worksheet in this other packet document form, not this one. So, my blood pressure is probably up just a little bit. But that's okay. It's Monday. Coming up on the program today, Sam Sentman, one of our horror correspondents, is going to be talking with Matthew John Lawrence. He is the writer and director of a new horror comedy called Uncle Peckerhead, which is about a punk rock garage band that gets a, gets a tour, finally. They get their deal with the tour, and their roadie, just happens to be a man-eating demon. So that's coming up here uh, very shortly. Uh, tonight, uh, <laughs> sci-fi snob, it's a test of how willing you are to give up your freedom. <sighs> well, I'm not feeling like Will uh, Will William Wallace. Is that his name? Something Wallace. I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to go that far, but yeah, it's... It's a test of the patience, that's that's for sure. Uh, as is watching Star Trek Lower Decks, that's a that's a chore. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get through it. I've I've seen the first two episodes. It is a mess. I don't I, I don't understand. I've seen the description. We'll talk about this a little bit later on tonight on H2O because it's it's part of a bigger a broader topic. But I've seen the description. Lower Decks. Well, actually, all of the Kurtzman Star Trek, Lower Decks, Picard, and Discovery. These are Star Trek shows, ostensibly. Star Trek shows 
created by people who hate Star Trek for people who hate Star Trek, making fun of people who like Star Trek. And I think that's pretty much an apt description in, in, in my case. So uh, we've got that. So tonight on H2O, uh, we are going to be talking about fans because Mike McMahon claims to be a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation. And you can clearly see the pastiche and you can see the, the elements and the, and the nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But I'm not quite sure that his definition of fan is the same as my definition of fan. But that's okay. Um, he says he likes it. And, and it's one of those things, and we'll get into that tonight at 8, uh, which is just under 8 hours from now. Are fans, self-proclaimed fans, the best ones to be making the new versions of a thing? Uh, we've got, um, you know, uh, Denny Villeneuve making a new Dune. We have Alex Kurtzman making all this Star Trek. And Kurtzman is one of those who wasn't familiar very much with Star Trek. Uh, you've got J.J. Abrams making Star Wars. But on the other hand, you've got John Favreau making Star Wars. So, so that's something we're going to get into tonight on the H2O podcast. Right now, without further ado, I'm going to turn this over to Sam. He, he and uh, he and Matthew Lawrence recorded an interview. We're going to play that for you. I am going to monitor the chat, but it is not a live interview. So I want to just uh, give you a heads up that this is in playback, but I'm still here. Have no fear. I'm still pushing buttons. So you can get in the chat and try to push my buttons because nobody's managed to do that yet. Gary's come close, but, you know, here we go. All right. Take it away, Sam. Thanks, Jason. We're here with Matthew John Lawrence, and we're interviewing regards to Uncle Peckerhead. Happy to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. So... Um, Matt, uh, <laughs> the beginning of the movie starts out saying it's a true story. What uh, inspired this wonderful gory romp that you made? <laughs> well, I mean, so the based on a true story title card operates both in like two ways. One is it's a it's just meant to be like the first kind of like hack joke that I threw in in that like the next thing you see after that title card is a uh, is a guy getting his jaw ripped off. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, but I mean, in, in reality, the, the, the one thing that I think actually grounds the movie for a movie that's about like, it's a totally surreal back, you know, film about a monster roadie. Um, but the one thing that I think grounds it is the film is, uh, is about a band on tour for the first time. And, you know, a lot of the actual, a lot of kind of the, the, the real moments that the band experiences of encountering, you know, a, a, a sound guy or, you know, getting paid $3 to play like a dive bar. I mean, those are things that I experienced from playing in bands that, that, that toured when I was in my like early twenties. Um, and those are, are also some of the, the many experiences like my friends would, would have, you know, on the road when we would kind of share our stories. 
And I, I always felt that in film, you know, whether it's, you know, the gig life or, or bands kind of on the road, it's always romanticized, you know, they're getting into trouble in hotel rooms and there's, you know, it's kind of like, like Motley Crue's The Dirt where you're like, oh my God, this is like, what a lifestyle. I mean, but in reality, like, you know, many of, of my friends that were in, in touring bands were like sleeping in Walmart parking lots, like eating their shoelaces. Like it was not a, a fun experience. You're mostly like bored or scared. Um, so that was kind of where the, the the real true story kind of inspired the the events of the film. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> reminded me of some of my early 20s as well. Um, one of the other things that was about that is the dialogue is really, really natural. I thought that was very well done. Uh, I mean, <laughs> there was some really strange, very awkward moments, and there was some really just great natural moments that the, the actors pulled off very well. I mean, um, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry I cut you off before you asked the question, but uh, I mean, that's that that I think is a testament to the to the actors um, in that, I mean, I was so I was so kind of like I had won the lottery in terms of the the talented people I got to work with. Um, especially, you know, the main cast of, of Chet, who played Judy, Ruby, who played Mel, uh, David, who played Peck, and Jeff, who played Max, is they had never actually, like, met uh, met before kind of the casting uh, call we had. And we had them meet once, but really, like, the first time they actually got to hang out um, was on day one of principal photography. But, like, I think really what the magical, the magical thing that happened is since we were a micro-budget production, is they were forced to kind of like live in close quarters with each other. So they kind of like, they ate together, they they slept in the same space together. Um, I mean, really the band travels in a van in the movie, but that van is Jeff who plays Max, that's his van. And he would drive them around in the van. So they were like, and as, as I'm sure you saw, like we, we uh, shot the movie in, in parts of Philadelphia, parts of Brooklyn and a lot of New Jersey. So we were kind of on a tour of our own. So really it, it became kind of this odd meta thing of this DIY production mirroring this DIY tour of this punk band. And I think kind of the, uh, the, the experiences uh, that the actors had of, of kind of touring together, uh, you know, from, from location to location uh, ended up kind of like facilitating this, this like as you said, this kind of like naturalistic way of, of kind of, they became such a tight-knit group behind the camera that, that that totally kind of transitioned into their their kind of their dynamic as, a, as, as these characters on camera. Yeah, really, I mean, it was, it was very well done. Now, um, why the uh, obsession with the cassette tapes? I haven't seen those in well since my <laughs> early twenties. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I mean it was for a few reasons. Is one like, and I know there are a few. I mean, being a micro budget production, you don't get to control all the elements that you want to control. You know, so you're kind of at the at the mercy of your location if there is something that that clearly dates the film. Um, but we were really trying to make kind of a, a decade ambiguous film that you're not like the goal would be if we had a ton of money, the goal would have been that you're not sure if it's the 80s, the 90s or maybe the early aughts, you know. Um, so, I, I mean, obviously the cassette dates it more in kind of the 80s, early 90s uh, thing. But I just I think I think a cassette kind of uh, also 
symbolizes the type of band they are. They can't even afford to do a seven inch, you know, or, or uh, obviously like not a CD or like, you know, like, and I tried to not have any like cell phones or computers or anything, any like anything tech, technology based, uh, you know, um, like props or, or, or elements that, that would really kind of put it in a certain gear or certain, at a certain decade. But I think the tape is just something that like, it's so lo-fi, it doesn't sound real good, but it's kind of like a scrappy, it's like what, what, what this band would have, I think even in like 2020 is they'd somehow like have a tape. It's like, what am I gonna, where am I gonna play this? Yeah, um, but I, <laughs> it's just something that I thought would be so funny of like, like, I, like people are still making demo tapes and that band would be duh. <laughs> that sounds very much like them actually. <laughs> Um, so where'd the idea come up for the, the, the psychotic monster roadie? Oh. Uncle Peckerhead was really, it was born out of a, uh, I, I'd been wanting to pitch this Adult Swim series. Um, and the Adult Swim series really didn't have a lot of the horror elements. It was basically about a, a punk, a bunch of punk kids that were kind of in this, this scrappy band and they lived in this house and just, it's never explained inexplicably. There's this hillbilly tweaker that lives with them and he's like 60 years old and you never explain why he's there, but basically he acts as this kind of like wise, uh, this, this sagacious, you know, like, like kind of mentor that gives them advice. I always like pitched it as kind of like a punk rock full house meets like a, a redneck Mr. Belvedere. Cause like, you know, at the end of every episode, he would, he would like help them to resolve the conflict, you know, kind of like, you know, the Wilson and home improvement. He would just kind of like come in, give them some wise words that would help them to kind of wrap up each episode. Um, and like what happened is obviously like Adult Swim didn't pick it up. I don't even know if adult, the guys at Adult Swim like even really listened to my pitch. Um, but what happened was like after that, I, I had been producing like a bunch of horror shorts and I love horror movies. I'd made a couple of horror movies like prior to this. And I was like, why don't I just combine like a few of these ideas I've had and make kind of like, I'd been to a bunch of horror festivals where you know, a lot of the films were very self-serious and there weren't any real fun kind of like festival horror movies, like those type of films that you're kind of like yelling with the audience or laughing out loud or kind of like throwing at the screen, like that type of thing. And I wanted to make a film that was kind of that that raucous kind of like, like, you know, I remember I went to kind of like a, a, a draft house screening of Evil Dead 2, like when I, when I was like younger and I, I was like, I'd seen the movie a bunch of times, but I had just seen it with like friends in my basement. And when you're watching it with like, you know, over a hundred people and people are like, you know, like yelling lines out and like, you know, like, like just everyone's like drunk off their ass, everyone's stoned and just having a blast. Uh, it, it, it was, it, I wanted to make a movie, I, I could never touch kind of Evil Dead 2, but I wanted to kind of like try to make a movie that would be the, the midnight movie you'd see at a festival that you just, you're, you leave on like a high, you're just, your adrenaline's up and you're just kind of loving the experience of being in a theater with a bunch of strangers watching this, this crazy movie. It definitely had that feel to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and David Littleton, by the way, his <laughs> His strange uncle vibe was <laughs> interesting experience. What was that like on set? 
I mean, David is, I mean, it's so odd because, you know, Peckerhead has, Peckerhead is like this charming, charismatic, affable guy. And that's David. David's this like, this really like kind, gentle, like sweet soul. And he's like the most giving actor you could work with. I mean, like in reality, and you would never ask actors to do this because it's not their job, but like, you know, actors basically like show up on set, you know, learn, learn the blocking, like have their lines down, like do their job. And then like the, the idea is they, they leave, you know, they're not, they don't set up, they don't unpack. I mean, but David's the type of person that like, if we're shooting outside and it starts to rain and everyone's like running gear to the, to our like vans or our grip truck and stuff like that, David's with you, like running and like, like doing the work. Uh, and he's just like, he's such a, like a, like a, a giving soul so it's so odd to see him kind of in this, like in those monstrous like moments of, uh, of seeing kind of this, this crazy character. And David's also like this really kind of soft, gentle, soft-spoken person. So, I mean, luckily, like this was not planned is right before we, we uh, hit principal photography, he had been in a play in Florida for like six months where he was a, a hillbilly minor, no joke. So like a lot, and it, like the movie was written that he was supposed to be this like this hillbilly, um, but it just so happened that he had been kind of like in this in this kind of like in this headspace of being of being kind of a, a, a maybe a different version of Peckerhead, but definitely like a a, a version of Peckerhead. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned originally uh, pitching it to Adult Swim, which I'm guessing is why the the movie poster looks the way it does. Uh, were you originally doing you were, this? Was originally an animated idea then? No, I mean, so this was I, I just like the the guy who did this. His name's Alec Hugel, um, and he's just an artist I love. And I mean, this I, like just to talk about this for a second because this is crazy. This isn't the poster we actually used. Like we like the distributor actually made a different poster, which is amazing. Johnny, who's the the artist that made that did such a fantastic job. But I actually like when, when we didn't have distribution yet, I reached out to this guy, this artist I loved. And I was like, I know this is like a long shot, but can you just give me a quote for how much it would be to make a poster? And he does like kind of like these animated illustrations like this. Um, and he, he gave me like a quote that I would be dumb to not, to not take. So I just, I like, this was just kind of like something I just did like a crazy person after I sink all this money into this movie, I just like spend like, uh, you know, another couple, whatever to like get my favorite <laughs> artist to do the poster. Um, but no, like, actually, like, I really imagine the Adult Swim series to be I mean, Tim and Eric actually ended up doing it uh, in their latest uh, Adult Swim venture called Beef Boys. But it's just like, I wanted it to be like a live action, like like throwback to a 90s sitcom with like like a live audience like a, or a laugh track and like just really stagey, like just like, you know, four or five, you know, locations or like sets that you're just rotating. Um, so I always imagined it to be this odd, like it's really this sick world of like, you know, and it's like, like a row house of like, like a bunch of punk kids. So it's just this, like, it's a depraved space. Um, but yeah, I always imagined it to be just like a, like a really crazy throwback to like a, like a, those 90s sitcoms. Well, it definitely had a little bit of that feel to it, to carry it over. Um, okay, so 
Now, as far as duh, who wrote the music there? Oh, so that so Max who played uh, or Jeff who played Max in the film. He he's the guitarist, the shy guitarist. Um, he's been a best friend of mine for you know the better part of a decade, and he wrote all of the music for the film. I mean, not the score. The score is by Christopher Marty, who's like an amazing musician in and of it, like on his own right. Uh, but Jeff wrote all the music for the band uh, and even the rival band. Um, and really, like, it, it, that came about because, uh, like, after I had written kind of a draft of this film, I knew the final moment, uh, like, the, the final scene in the film, uh, I knew I, I wanted to use a song he had previously written in, like, another band. The song's called Trash Age. And I thought, like, the lyrics were perfect, kind of the sentiment, the, the nihilistic bent was kind of what I wanted the band to perform in those final moments. Um, and he agreed to let, he like, I knew I wanted him in it, uh, but I wanted to use this old song of his and he's like, yeah, like totally, we can use this song, but I want to write like an entire record for this fake, this fictional band. I want to, I just want to have like, like an EP or like, you know, the seven song demo and I want them to be like complete originals for the movie. Um, and I like, it was amazing because he started dem demoing these songs and like one of the biggest selling points or one of the best, one of the biggest things we had to convince people to work for, you know, a discount rate or to get people excited or to get like, you know, small money investors involved was using the music saying, Hey, listen, like we have this script, give it a read, or we have this lookbook, give it a look. Um, but like, you know, we we're dead serious. Like we, we have like one of our, one of our main collaborators is like writing a record for this band. Um, and like, you know, basically the demos he was, he was sending me, are are almost like the fully fleshed out versions you see in the movie. I mean, like he has such a knack for melody and he has such a knack for for like his lyrics, I always think are so approachable, not pretentious and like very like have like really kind of carry a lot of weight behind it. And it might appear simple on the surface, but there's so much more underneath. Um, that's all Jeff. Jeff is just like an amazing musician. And that's what he does for a living beyond, you know, working in film. Um, he's been a touring musician for the better part of, I think, like over 15 years now. Wow, yeah, that was great songs. They definitely had a interesting sound to them. Almost reminded me of Green Day back in the old early nineties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we were go we were going for. I wanted to go for like kind of like a like a, a, a definitely like a punk rock, but definitely with pop sensibilities. And like like we were like trying to like narrow it down to like what era. And we were talking about like early nineties, like you know. Green Day and the Muffs and like kind of that 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 kind of era of of whether you call it pop punk or just punk rock that's melodic. Um, but yeah, I mean, those were the bands that like we I mean, those were the bands we also grew up with when we were when we were kind of like like little. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a good era for a little music. <laughs> um, as far as some of the gore scenes. Were there any of those that you particularly enjoyed shooting or enjoyed, you know, destroying the actors with? <laughs> so, like, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because, like, uh, you know, the little kid in me is, you know, you're writing, you're writing a script and you're letting your imagination go wild. Your, your, your brain is going bonkers with, like, what, what you want to see, right? Um, and, I like, I have to give a shout-out to Jared, who was our... Uh, our FX guru and his assistant Sean is 
you know, they worked with such a, a small budget and such a, uh, uh, you know, such limited resources. And we really didn't have to cut out any, any of those effects that, that were featured in the script. And that really is a testament to how, like, how talented of, a, of an artist he is. Um, but like when you're actually on set doing it, like it's your your butthole is puckered while you're while you're doing it because you only it's it's like a one and done scenario. So like if if that if the face doesn't rip properly, you know what I mean? You don't get a face rip in your movie. You know, if the camera isn't at the right angle or if the actor misses their their mark, you know, I mean, you the shot's done like you don't have like. Like, like if this was like a studio, we'd have like 10, 10 different faces with which to rip. Um, but that's not, that's not the case here. So in reality, like, it's amazing when it, when you do, when it, when you nail it, like there's this moment of elation and it's like, it tickles you that like this thing that you had in your head actually has come to life. Um, but like, really like in the seconds before that moment happens, like you, like you're supposed to be the director. You're supposed to be this, like this figurehead that like, you know, is calm and composed and is like, kind of like you're setting the tone, you're setting kind of the, the, the kind of like the atmosphere on set. And you're just like, my God, if we do not, and I'm sure, you know, like the metal had scene in particular, it's, it's like this big moment. And I knew that was going to be, that's going to be the big moment in the movie. And I'm just like, I'm like, if we don't get this, like, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, I don't have any money left. Like, we can't do anything. And this scene, like, this is it. Like, a lot of the movie rides on, like, a couple of those scenes. Um, so it feels so great to know that it got done. But, like, when you're on set, it is just, like, your heart is just, like, in 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 a vice, uh, in a vice grip. And you're just, like, praying. I, like, you're just, like, praying to whatever God will listen to you. Like, just please let this work out. Yeah, that, that metal hub scene was one of my favorites. I like the little nod to a movie that we won't mention. I want to give it away. <laughs> um, so was there anything else you wanted to bring up that I have not covered? I mean, like the one, the one thing that I would just, I, I want to say uh, is it, it's so tough in like interviews is you don't get to talk about like all the cast and crew that really like broke their broke their asses to make the movie. And on a micro budget production, uh, everyone, everyone is breaking their like breaking their back day and night, working more hours than they should, like being asked more of the more and more of themselves, like all of that stuff. So there's there's way too many people to name. So I'll I'll give I'll give people an actionable thing is please rent or buy the movie, uh, share it with friends, tell people like this film is depending on word of mouth, you know, like we're trying to like, you know, climb whether it's the iTunes horror charts or whatever it is. And we're up against like Will Smith. We're up against like, you know, tentpole films. We're up against like Jaws. Like Jaws is now like back on the charts. And it's like, how are we going to compete with a, a Spielberg classic? Like, you know, like what, like, how can we do that? In reality, it's because, you know, if you like the movie and I, I, I was, I was this person is like, I would love a movie, but I would never tweet about it. Not because I, I didn't want to support people because I didn't realize how much, you know, like independent filmmakers depend on that. Like how much, like, you know, if one person sees that tweet and decides like, oh, I'll, that's an interesting title. I'll watch that movie. Um, 
that's what we depend on because we don't have like we're not Jaws five. We can't depend on just like a name getting a rental. You know what I mean? Not to I mean I love Jaws. Don't get me wrong. I also love Jaws too. <laughs> Um, Jaws three is interesting. Jaws four sucks, but yeah, I mean, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's such a, it, it's so tough to kind of like, like so many people work so hard and you really want, you really want their, their work, their work and their, 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 what their, I can't put it into words like how much, how much, you know, love was put into this film by so many people. So I say like, if you do rent or buy the movie, like, I know it sounds like such a silly thing, but I now I always watch the credits to every movie that that I make. Yeah, or not every movie that I make, every movie I watch because I think it's so important to just recognize that like there are like in some cases with studio movies like thousands of people, but in our case there are, you know like a couple dozen people that just like toiled away. You don't see them on screen, and really it's like they get an IMDb credit and they're in the they're in the film's credits for like four seconds, and that person like killed themselves to get this movie made and it's not even they don't get like the typical like like writer director you know thing and they're not on you know whatever the vod platform as like a main kind of credit um so i would just say that like please watch the movie please tell people about the movie and please just watch the credits and and see how many really beautiful people worked on worked on a small diy film like ours and what platforms is available on currently it's such a great question. All it's really available on all digital platforms. So I mean, Apple, Amazon, Fandango Now, Vudu, uh, Xbox, PlayStation, any of you, any cable providers that that you're subscribed to. Um, if if it is digitally, if you can digitally rent or buy films, you can find our movie uh, there to to rent. And please like. Uh, if you if you like the movie, like give us a nice rating, give us a review, and if you don't like the movie, don't tell anyone. Just keep it to yourself. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you for your time, Matt. Everybody, check out Uncle Peckerhead. It's a fun and gory romp. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say thank you guys for taking the time to to talk to me and 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 watch the movie. It really means a lot, and this is this is like why I love making movies is is being able to hear and being able to hear that people watched and enjoyed the movie and being able to talk about the movie. So thank you. Thank you very much for your time. All right, thanks, Sam. Thank you, Matthew. And the website, if you want to know more about this project and uh, other work that Matthew is doing, subtletrex.com is the website and it's currently got the trailer for the movie, Uncle Peckerhead, which is coming out a little bit later on this month. And uh, when we get back, I'm going to rant a little bit. I have no idea what about... But that's the beauty of live shows. We can just make it up as we go. Stand by. And it's a real pleasure for me as a longtime fan to be sitting here with Aaron Gray. Here with Larry Hama. We're talking with Kevin J. Anderson, best-selling author. Mr. Neil Adams. I am here with David Fritz. Axel Alonso, editor Fan Days and at Dallas Comic-Con with uh, John Delancey. With Tom King. Kevin Conroy. Denise Crosby. Popcon. Here on location at Star Wars We're Celebration. Expo, talking for our second time with Gil Gerard. Wichita, Kansas at Time Eddie. Producer, David Gerald. Yeah, I've got Eric Flint. We are here at Smallville Comic Con. 
Wizard World St. Louis. Glitchcon in Bentonville, Arkansas. Worldcon 74. We are talking with uh, Alan Dean Foster. We are talking Father Charlene Harris. Quincy Allen. Suzanne Lambert. Chris Sami. Ashley Eckstein. Mono Interami. Jason Aaron. This is Sci-Fi for Me, your portal to the science fiction multiverse. We are going to put some rules in place. The grown-ups are back. And this time... Don't lose it, don't lose it, don't lose it, don't lose it. No subject is sacred. When they're making fun of him for being a Christian... Well, but no issue is ignored. This is a tragedy. This is a, a horrible thing. And no one is safe. But as someone who deals with depression, I, this, is, this is an issue with me. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hutt here. And we are monitoring emails and social media posts. Keeping track of the various different Comic-Cons that are changing their schedules. And we're going to have to do a little bit of juggling on our schedule in order to make a, a particular anniversary work out. So we're still playing with that. Um, what else? What else is going on? We got the Axonar. Axonar just will not go away. Uh, we may talk about that a little bit more on Deep Space Minds coming up on m Friday. Tomorrow, Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, the latest Star Trek and Orville news with Triple Bites. And I do believe we've got a new Tardis sauce this week, talking about Doctor Who. And we've had some ideas for new programs. And we've got a few. We've got a few ideas. Not ready to share them yet. We had some, some conference calls and some meetings over the weekend to talk about some stuff that we're going to announce a little bit later. We are working, planning, and scheming uh, on some new stuff that we've got in the works. Uh, and if you have particular areas of interest that you think we should be covering a little bit more, you are more than welcome to share those thoughts with us. Send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi me.com. Uh, if you've got news tips for us, the email address is tips at. And, uh, of course, we've got uh, the Comic-Con update that we'll have a little bit later on today, as well as the H2O podcast tonight. And we're always open to do more with less, because we have, we have limited resources here, and we do very much... Uh, we do a lot... We do a lot more than, than I always think that maybe we can manage we 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 do pretty well here i'm i'm pretty proud of this crew uh the people that are here uh putting in their time uh people like mrs boss like sam tim uh leslie gabe uh mac we are all uh we're all in it for the fun because you know i i doubled your salary if i could but that's for that's for later <clears throat> all right what else shall we talk about? Yeah, Sci-Fi Snob makes a, a, a note here uh, in the chat. The guy's enthusiasm for the film makes him want to see it. That is something that really does come into play a lot of times. When you have someone, whether, whether you're interested in a thing or not, 
when you have someone that is a real big, enthusiastic cheerleader about a thing, it at the very least, it makes you curious about the thing. And I do my best, as far as our work here, I do my best to be enthusiastic and, and encouraging and, and, and energetic and excited about the stuff that we're doing here because I'm very proud of the work that we do. Uh, there are times where it's a little tough to to keep going and keep going and keep going because this is this is a as much as I hate to admit uh, it is it is a almost a twenty four seven thing where you know we're all you know I'm I'm on social media I'm on other people's YouTube channels I'm doing podcast appearances and talking about this thing trying to get our audience built up trying to tell people about what we do because I'm because I I'm proud of the work. And that's not just my work. I'm proud of everybody's work here. And I'm very happy that we have regulars in our audience. You know, Sci-Fi Snobs here, Robert, Mazuris, uh Super JLK, um I you know, there there are several that are here all the time. I haven't seen Matuine in a while. But we've got regulars, and I like the fact that we've got regulars. We start we start to interact with people in the in in every interaction adds value to that to that relationship. And I think that as the channel gets bigger, one of the things that I want to make sure we keep hold of is that personal one-on-one reach to the audience, whether we're at 1,500 subscribers or 15,000 or, or 1.5 million. I want to be able to sit there and say, you know, and, and talk to you as if it's just us. You know, it's just folks. We're just talking across the fence to here's the stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get so detached and so separated out from what we do from our audience that it becomes impersonal. So as long as as long as I can manage that, I think we're going to be doing okay. Uh, speaking of which, we are at fifteen. Uh, no, we are at fourteen hundred and sixty-five subscribers. I would very much like to see that go up to fifteen hundred fairly soon. I'm not sure how we do that. <clears throat> if anybody's got suggestions, uh, if you want to share the channel with your social media contacts, that would be a plus. Uh, and if you would like to uh, show your support of the channel by having a sticker, we can send you a sticker. Uh, either send us an email, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com with your, at, with your mailing address, or you can send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. Sci-Fi for me, 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. And we will send that sticker to you. And if you have material that you're creating, if you've got a, a comic book or a book or a, a short film or a movie or you know, something, something creative like that, and you would like to uh, get a review or maybe do an interview, as long as it's a genre... Science fiction, fantasy, horror. Uh, we're willing to take a look. So you could use that mailing address for that as well and let us know about it or send us an email or uh, tag us on, on social media and, and we will take a look. Uh, 
So tomorrow, <clears throat> author David Levine will be here. We talked to him about uh, four years ago. We talked to him first at uh, Worldcon 74 when it was here in Kansas City about his book, Arabella of Mars. I don't think he'll be in cosplay, steampunk cosplay tomorrow, uh, but we'll be catching up with him, see what he's been up to lately. And then, right now, no guest on Wednesday. I am working on a couple of things, but Thursday is our musical episode. <clears throat> Christopher Carter, Lolita McManus, no, Lolita Ritmanis, and Michael McQuiston will be here. They are a writing team, a, comp a music composers team, and currently they are working on the music for Young Justice Season 4. And uh, they have done a number of, uh, of musical compositions for Warner Brothers Animation. Christopher did the theme for Batman Beyond, among other things. And uh, he and I go way back to early college days from a very long time ago. So they will be here on Thursday. And then we're working on a lineup for next week. And if you had signed up for our newsletter, you would already know this because it was in our newsletter. Uh, the link to sign up for that is in the show notes. And uh, if you go to sci-fi4me.com, there's a pop-up window that'll, that'll come up that'll let you sign up that way as well. All right, so... Let's call it a short, uh, a short episode today and tease you with tonight's topic on the H2O podcast. We are going to be talking about reboots and the fans that make them. Are the fans, the self-proclaimed fans, the so-called fans, the best people to be making the new version of the thing? And we're going to be talking about... Uh, not just Star Trek, but you look at a lot of different things. Doctor Who, Star Wars, Terminator. Um, it even goes back to, to non-genre stuff like Starsky and Hutch and the Dukes of Hazzard. And, and what, what qualifications, what do you expect somebody to have as a qualification for a fan in order to feel confident that they understand the material enough to make a new version of it, a new iteration, the next, the next thing, the next entry in that franchise. Because there have been missteps in all of those franchises, and so we'll be taking a look at that, and uh, maybe talk about uh, some fan films that might, uh, might be better than the, than the real stuff. So, I don't know, we'll see. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. We will be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, and live from the bunker here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Thanks very much for joining us. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.